Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Today I'm excited to welcome on The Motley Fool Canada's Ian Butler and Jim Gillies for a special Canada Day edition of the Industry Focus podcast. Guys, welcome to the show. Fantastic to be here. Thanks for having us. It's it's great to have you here. So uh, we're pre-recording this on June 14th. If you're listening to this, it is July 1st. 2021, which is Canada Day 2021. As you're listening to this, you know what, my friends, Ian and Jim, taking the day off today. Why do you have the day off today, Jim? What is Canada Day? Canada Day is, uh, to put it in American terms, it is our version of July 4th. It was uh, it was the day in 1867 when the country was officially handed over by Queen Victoria, became its own nation. And uh, we like to celebrate with uh, basically the red and white bunting instead of red, white, and blue. Uh, we steal all the good fireworks three days in advance, uh, probably overpay for them, frankly. Um, and uh, basically, it's uh, yet another excuse during our O2 short summers to hang around the pool and the barbecue and drink a few bottles of beer. Boom. So, is you know, is it like, uh, you know, what's the, is it still hot dogs? Is it still like hot dogs and hamburgers or is there a Canadian hot dogs? Is there like a Canadian bacon version of a hot dog? No, we, we are equal opportunity meat eaters up here. Uh, we have no problem with hot dogs, hamburgers, uh, throwing a hot dog on a hamburger. It's all good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, excited to have you all uh, here today in honor of Canada Day. You know, we are an investing show. We talk a little bit about the Canadian stock markets, what makes them special. So, Ian, uh, why don't you just run us down? What's the size of the Canadian economy? How does the Canadian stock market compare to the U.S. stock market? The size of the Canadian economy is throwing me for a loop because I, I don't know offhand, I must say. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the rule of one-tenth is always a good one to, get, to go with. Uh, that, that's generally how the population washes out. Um, Canada is about the population of California, um, obviously one of the bigger states population-wise. But we've, we've got about 33, 35 million people, um, Canadians. And, and yeah, I think the economy here is considered a tenth, uh, tenth the size of the U.S. Stock market from a stock market perspective, though, I believe there's over five thousand listings on the uh, between the Nasdaq and the New York Stock Exchange. Would that is that about correct? That's a ballpark. Yeah, yeah. and and I think there's about fifteen hundred to two thousand on the on the primary Canadian stock exchange, the, which is the, the TSX uh, index, Toronto Stock Exchange. Um, so we do not have near the breadth or selection that uh, that we find in the American markets, which is why we've spent a lot of time over the years telling Canadians that they need to be looking south of the border for ideas to complement their Canadian stock ideas. Yeah. So, so when you look at the, the components of that market, you see a lot more kind of oil and gas, a lot more resources, I think, as, as they're uh, referred to north of the border. How, how does that uh, that aspect of the economy flesh out in the stock market and in the way people invest in the country? Quite often poorly, <laughs> if I can put it bluntly. Um, you know, the, the the problem with the resource side of the market is you're you're always beholden to essentially what is the price of the resource. So you might be the the absolute best lowest cost operator in the oil and gas space, but if 2015 comes along where oil goes from $100 a barrel to sub $30 a barrel, it's not going to matter. 
Uh, so, you know, quite often the, the resource plays tend to, uh, they, as with everything, I think in investing people, people get very excited when they're working. Um, but it's very hard to, uh, forecast a cycle for commodities or for resources. Uh, so generally the most, the time when I think the, I, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn for Ian, but the, the, the time that we tend to get most excited for them is when things aren't working. Uh, because that's when you're paying the comparatively lesser price. But, um, you know, so the last decade, I mean, we've really only seen energy kind of having its, uh, it's poking its head up uh, in, in recent months, uh, which, which, which is good. It's a good sign. Uh, but uh, we're going to, we, we've seen this kind of head popping up a couple of times since about 2015, and it's always been slapped back down. So we have some hopes that right now it's, it's going, but uh um, it, it, it can be a little bit more challenging. We also lack, uh, we lack a lot of the, um, the U S exposure to certain sectors, mainly the tech sector. Um, you know, we, we just, we just tend to lack, but as Ian says, you know, the, um, you know, the, the equity markets in North America or sorry, in Canada are about 3% of the t world's total. And, and we kind of feel that that investing only within that 3% is kind of doing your portfolio a disservice, which is why the Canadian services focus on equal recommendations in Canada, as well as in the US, because you guys, I think, have got about 50% of the uh, world equity market. So, uh, you know, we think it, it, it behooves Canadian investors to step outside our borders, metaphorically, if not we're allowed to right now physically. So, I think it's an important point to emphasize there that indeed we are severely lacking technology and healthcare. And mm. those are have been two of sort of the, especially technology in, in over the past five, 10 years even. Um, those technologies really dri driven the US market. It's become, has it become the biggest weight that it's ever been in the, in the S&P 500? If, if not, it's, it's gotta be close. And meanwhile, energy has done the opposite in the S&P 500. Uh, what's it? Sort of low single digits um, sector-wise. Canada Energy is still about a 12% allocation in the S&P TSX composite. Uh, financials are a big allocation there. And, and then uh, the materials sector sort of rounds it out. And those three sectors really make up about more than 50%, I believe, of the uh, Canadian market. So that's it's a real dichotomy, which is why our two markets have diverged significantly in performance since about 2012. You can you can draw a line dating back quite a ways to 2012, and there's there were divergences, but it's amazing how close the Canadian and the U.S. market were up until that point. But in, but since uh, the U.S. has just rocketed past and, and is is well ahead now in in, in terms of uh, in terms of long term performance. Right. So certainly it's been a tough decade uh, for, you know, the energy space and some of these materials over the past you know year so far in 2020 has been been pretty strong for commodities. We'll see whether that cycle turns around and whether the TSX closes some of that gap we've seen over the past you know eight years or so that you, that you laid out there, Ian. So mm -hmm. you mentioned several times this relationship between the U.S. and Canada and wanted to talk about that a little bit when it comes to companies in Canada. So naturally, you mentioned Canada is about one one tenth the size of uh, of the U.S. Um, uh, economy. Um, it, but it's also the number one trading their number one trading partner uh, is the U.S. So if you're a company in Canada and you're looking to expand pretty soon, uh, one of the natural markets to expand to um, is south down into the United States. So when you think about Canadian companies, how much of the how much are those companies are you know companies operating in Canada versus how much should we think about these companies as more North American businesses more broadly? 
Well, yeah. there's certainly. Uh, yeah, go, go, go ahead, Ian. No, 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 it's okay. Okay. Uh, there, there's certainly an aspect of of uh, if you are a Canadian company, you want to succeed in the U.S. for the simple reason, as Ian laid out, that you guys are ten times our size. I mean, it, it's and it's a ready. Um, it's already almost equal market in terms of the, the customer makeup you know, down there. It's just, you're much larger. So uh, we want to see our success stories translate. Like I'll, I'll throw one out. Um, Lululemon. Lululemon is a Canadian company, right? I mean, it, it was founded in Vancouver. It, for the longest time, it was traded on both the Toronto Stock Exchange uh, and the U.S. exchanges. Uh, I think they dropped their Canadian listing four or five years ago now, uh, even, you know, because yeah, their their products are appreciated and and desired by practically everyone in North America. They almost established their own um, their own new niche where companies like the Gap and uh, Under Armour started putting out other competitive offerings, but still the Lululemon brand is so strong. Um, but you know this is you know th this is a company that was born and raised in Canada, outgrew Canada, and you know left Canada for lack of a better term. Um, you know, and so uh, Canadians who want to invest in this Canadian success story have to do so in U.S. dollars on, uh, I think it's on the NASDAQ. I'm not sure which their ticker is, but, um, you know, so so what tends to happen with Canada is, uh, you know, the, the small success stories, they either get bought or, or they outgrow or in some cases they skip the, they skip the Toronto listing entirely and just go to the U.S., the, from a business standpoint, I don't, I can't think of very many growth-oriented companies that purely have a Canadian strategy. I think I think every every growth-oriented yeah. company is has its eyes on the U.S. Whether they get their start in Canada and and grow to a point here and then expand, or if they're always set on the U.S. Um, the exceptions are in the telecom industry, where there's essentially an oligopoly between three three big companies: uh, Rogers, BC, and Telus. And they now Telus does have an international strategy. The other two, not so much or at all, even. Um, and that and that, excuse me, same as the utility industry. So the cape these big telecom companies, two of them, BC and Rogers, I would say, are more like utilities than anything, mm -hmm. where it's regulated. They're promised a certain amount of growth, essentially by the government regulations, and that's that's the game. But but if you want a truly growth-oriented company. Um, it's I can't think of a great example where it's purely a Canadian strategy. Right. So, so yeah, naturally you're seeking out these new markets and the U S is one of those. So what, another example where you think about, uh, you know, companies starting in Canada and then growing up um, into the U S you see a lot of these with, with smaller businesses, the Canadian venture exchange. I know Jim um, has, has some opinions, maybe, maybe pro pro and con uh, of what goes on on, on that platform, but you, but you see a lot of uh, a lot of smaller businesses before they before they kind of get their big boy uh, a listing. One one of the popular places um, to do that is the venture exchange. Can you talk about the role that plays in in markets and, and for businesses? Well, I'm going to quote actually. I'm going to quote Ian Butler here on the venture exchange. <laughs> yes. You know, he Ian's line a number of years ago. I love this quote. Is you know <laughs> the Toronto Venture Exchange, home of the world's worst companies. Um, you know, <laughs> like. There, there's a lot of dross on the venture exchange, frankly, and there's a lot of things that don't, you know, certainly there are some that grow and get their big boy listing and go up to the, the TSX. So MTY food group would be uh, one that pops up. Uh, Acuity ads is one that popped up uh, or moved up. Um, Viamed, I think is another one, but um, and Ian's probably got another 20 to think of. And there's, and there's a bunch of others too, that, that kind of list there and, 
and are quite happy just sitting there. They don't really uh, care too much about their public. I mean, like uh, Topicus is a recent spinoff yeah, from West Aim. software. West Aim, yeah, and and they've been there. Those those are good companies, but they're just. Mm -hmm. They're just mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, we're, we're, we're happy here. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, um, you want to be really careful with what's on the venture exchange. I'll just, I'll put it a, that way. A lot of it, I, I won't say half, but it, and it might even be more than half, but let's call it half, are <laughs> of the junior resource variety where mm -hmm. there's a plot of land in some far-flung locale and promises of riches are are mere weeks away if they just receive <laughs> external money and then are able to and have been the for the last decade yeah yeah it's it's so so that story abounds on the venture exchange um i, th I think though in in its purest sense if, if we want to take the, the the less crappiest companies in the world it, it canada hasn't had a very developed uh, venture capital market sort of the the whole private equity venture capital silicon valley scene hasn't really been overly developed uh, uh, here in Canada. I think it's improved a lot. And actually, I think Canadian companies have increasingly been getting access to the US venture capital market. Um, but so so it is evolving. But historically, um, that venture exchange has provided at least external financing for the gems that do that, that do come along. Um, so that's, that's, I think, that would be the, the genesis of the exchange, but it, it's turned into it, it's, it's, you got to, as Jim said, tread tread carefully. It's I, I think uh, pink sheets in the U.S. are, are sort of similar. There's just plenty yeah. of scuzz in pink sheet land. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's got that history going back to, to funding these junior miners, and for folks that are familiar with that term, kind of industry term for it's miners that they don't have a mine. All right, they ain't pulling anything out of the ground yet. I don't know what that, why that makes you a junior, but uh, I mean it means you don't have a mine that's producing anything. Um, and you know historically with the resource nature of Canada, there's been a need. For funding there, but today, you know, as you mentioned, um, because of the nature of that market, if you're looking for microcaps, that can tend to be a place where you know there are some hidden gem type microcap companies. But again, buyer beware, all the sorts of things that that you find in microcap land. Um, that there's some good stuff, there's some hidden gems, but there are some um, non diamonds also it's, down there in the it, rough. It'd be the true venture They're capital wrong. approach where you throw collect a basket and some are going to go away and ideally some are going to do fantastically well, but it, it's, it's very much a venture capital uh, mindset required. Yeah. So another topic uh, that we can talk about just peculiarities of Canada. I know Mr. Gillies likes to talk about this, this regularly, this phenomenon of where you often have this one kind of star child of, of the, uh, of, of the Canadian market that, that rockets up to, to prominence and then historically um, has not ended um, super well. Uh, Jim, can, can you tell us the backstory there and, you know, why this is something that is peculiar to Canada or maybe potential reasons why? Well, I mean, it's, it's the, the curse of the largest company in Canada that's not a bank. Most of the time, the, the natural ruling order is the largest company by market capitalization in Canada is a bank, usually Royal Bank of Canada, although I think TD, Ian, may have it's, it's flirted up there. Maybe yeah, it's I wonder if Scotia got there at one point, but uh, yeah, I think Royal Bank didn't really carry the day. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so Royal's kind of the the flag bearer, but every once in a while, uh, a new challenger takes the field, and as you say, rockets ahead, uh, gains tremendous market share. So, some of the names uh, that have held the mantle over the past two decades include Nortel Networks which is a zero today. Uh, Research in Motion, which is now BlackBerry and considerably smaller than it was at its height as uh, Research in Motion. Um, Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan, which is the silliest name probably we'll talk about, but uh, that was a commodity super cycle that went uh, 
went went stupid, frankly, and people bought all the way up. It's still a perfectly acceptable company. Uh, it, it amalgamated with uh, their largest competitor, Agrium. Yeah, Agrium, and now it's a company yeah. called Nutrien. Right. Um, Valiant Pharmaceutical, everyone's favorite uh, uh, leveraged uh, recap McKinsey. Um, <laughs> interesting company that uh, imploded for uh, reasons that uh, well you know don't try to financial engineer and screw your customers i suppose um and so right so the, all those companies are significantly smaller today than they were as i mentioned nortel nortel at its height in 2000 was one third of the index so you, if you were a passive investor in the toronto stock exchange uh you were unknowingly putting one third of your money uh, into a company that, uh, or into an index where, you know, the largest competitor or largest company uh, went to zero um, for various reasons. Uh, and, but today the largest company in Canada is not a bank. It was passed about a year and a half ago, year, year and a half ago by some little company called Shopify. And so Shopify, um, I think Shopify has a pretty good chance at remaining the largest company in Canada and, and kind of breaking this curse uh, simply because the other uh, the other names mentioned, uh, Nortel did some questionable things and went a little stupid from valuation perspective and ran aground because uh, they'd done some dumb things in the tech crash. Uh, Research in Motion ignored the development of some little thing called an iPhone. Um, as I mentioned, Potash was a commodity thing that went a little silly, and once the euphoria wore off, it went away. And Valiant was kind of financial engineering and fraud. Um, and none of what I've just described applies to Shopify. Shopify is a real business with a real growth story with, in theory, you know, how many, how many small and medium-sized businesses can we have around the world? And it's not even small business anymore. I mean, I was uh, looking at the Globe and Mail, our Canada's national newspaper. Uh, I was looking at their website uh, to subscribe a couple of weeks ago. And I see at the very bottom of the order page, powered by Shopify. It's like, oh, they've got... Uh, they they've got they got Globe Mail. It's pretty good. And yeah, you you another one. Recently. Netflix's new uh, yeah. online merchandise store uh, is also powered by Shopify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it, it's almost like Shopify is an American company. I must say, <laughs> it's it's got it's got that rare secular growth trajectory behind it that is so hard to find in, in the Canadian market, or I find it hard to find anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 so we we think we think maybe the streak has been broken, Nick. But you know, we're still going to knock on wood a little bit. So what do you think makes Shopify special? And do you think maybe this, you know, if, if Shopify breaks this trend of what we've seen historically uh, with, you know, the, the, the sad ending to the, to the biggest company in Canada, do they create a model that you see other companies maybe following in the future? I mean, because you see that happen in the past when you see success in Silicon Valley, other people come to Silicon Valley and things build up. Yeah, so see Shopify having success in Canada. Do you think that could be a model for other businesses to follow? That's hmm. a real tough one. It um, is. Yeah. I was going to, I, I, I almost thought for a second that maybe there's a different dynamic there because of founder led, but Blackberry was kind of founder led. So that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's out the window. Um, yeah. Nothing obvious jumps out. Yeah. I, I think Shopify is almost at the kind of the perfect, they, they came upon an opportunity that's almost perfect what they were offering. Um, and you know, they, they've seized it. And, and the founder led aspect of it is essentially they, they are not content to rest on their laurels. I mean, I, I give research in motion uh, a hard time justifiably um, and Nortel as well, because I, th I think both of those companies, especially research in motion, I mean, they openly mocked 
there that the iPhone is that you know well yeah it might be a might be a good toy for you know for some of the retail folks but you know serious businesses and security things would continue to use the BlackBerry and and they got it precisely wrong um, and but they were they were uh, very overweeningly confident I'll put it that way. Um, and and I look at uh, Toby Lutke at uh, at Shopify and just the what the way they do things there, they just still feel even though they are the largest company in Canada and they've had tremendous success, they feel hungry. They feel like they do not want to rest on their laurels. And I think that that is that's that more than anything gives me gives me uh, hope that they can continue to um, maintain the lead they have now on 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 Royal Bank and TD Bank. I might, and I might highlight too, like Shopify to become its biggest by market cap, but it mm-hmm. certainly isn't biggest by other financial metrics. Like, so I'm just looking at the list here, and I mean, Royal Bank of Canada is number two. It's got $47 billion worth of revenue. Shopify had $3.4 billion worth of revenue. So Shopify has definitely benefited from the general tech environment and the willingness of the market to pay big multiples for these, these growth stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really padded its market cap, but, but I mean, back to the company level though, it, there's, there's definitely, there's no doubt there's some magic there. Yeah. We'll see. Amazon just, uh, just passed. I think, I think they're, well, they're on pace. I, I think to pass Walmart is the biggest employer uh, employer in the U S Shopify has got a long way to go mm-hmm. to become the biggest employer in Canada. We'll, we'll see what happens there. So it's kind of moving to an, to another topic. We, we, we've talked about the broader, Canadian market, the, the the biggest company phenomenon, maybe some things that make Canada special. And then we talked a little bit about Shopify and maybe what makes them special is the largest company in Canada. What are some companies that, you know, for U.S. investors or Canadian investors that you think are special that folks should have on their radar? Jim? Uh, do you want a dual listing or do you want just a Canadian listing and they'll have to go find the pink sheets? Uh, I want companies that you think are special that, uh, that do business in Canada that folks should have uh, on their okay. radar. Uh, I will. Well, I mean, if we, I, I feel we've talked about this before, but again, we don't know the listenership of, of industry focus here and, and how many times. So, so you're going to have to go find this on the pink sheets fools. But uh, uh, I, I hold that the best company in Canada run by the greatest uh, CEO slash capital allocator in Canada is a little company called Constellation Software. And Constellation Software is run by Mark Leonard, who is the CEO. He's been there forever. I think he, I think he might be a founder, actually. Uh, if he wasn't, certainly it, it doesn't matter because he's been, he's been the guy driving it the entirety of its public uh, history. It's just, it's just been public just over 15 years, I believe, or roughly 15 years. Uh, in that period of time, I think it's generated about 40% annualized returns. So, you know mildly outperforming every market out there. Um, and uh, he's uh, Mark Leonard is notoriously reclusive, um, doesn't give interviews, doesn't do quarterly conference calls, used to write letters a couple times a year, kind of stopped that um, or severely cut that back. But, but they are, uh, they're basically a software acquirer and integrator and um, they, they are masters at going and acquiring small software companies and in, in various different verticals and integrating into their own operations and just producing a ton of cash flow, which turns around and facilitates the next generation of acquisitions and, and becomes this, you know, virtuous circle. Um, so it's uh, ticker is CSU on the Toronto stock exchange. And there is a pink sheet listing somewhere, which I'll have to go look for you. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw it in the description um, of the podcast. Yeah. Jim, what, what do you think? Uh, so you talked about this, this really strong history, the constellation software, has had um, and you know these incredibly 
strong returns. And as you look into the future, the company has talked about maybe doing some, some larger acquisitions going forward. Do you think the, the company, the opportunity for them, before them is just as bright a, as things have been in the past? What are you looking at with, with the company today? Well, I, part, part of me, I was kind of speculating that. Yes, I, I mean, I think they have to do larger acquisitions because, you know, you can't just, you can't buy. I mean, it's now a $32, $33 billion company, I believe. Um, you can't go out and buy the $5 million revenue company anymore and expect to really move the needle. Um, plus the $5 million revenue company is like two guys in a garage somewhere. So uh, you're not, you're not going to move the needle much. Um, we, we've actually talked of a couple of potential candidates that we could see um, Constellation targeting that are larger, uh, you know, that would fit this bill. Uh, one of which is called Computer Modeling Group, which is out of Calgary. It's uh, they they basically direct, do reservoir modeling for oil and gas players. Um, they Constellation. I, I don't know if this is deliberate or not, but Constellation has managed to get a couple of their uh, their executives slash directors onto the board of directors for Computer Modeling Group. Uh, Computer Modeling Group has had a history of lots of cash generation, not a lot of price stock price appreciation in the last few years. And there's another company called Enghouse or Enghouse, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It's uh, E-N-G-H on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It's about a $3 billion. Um, soft, very, it looks a lot very similar to a constellation, except it's one-tenth the size. Um, they've been struggling a little bit uh, to, to get some growth. It wouldn't shock me. wouldn't shock me to see constellation maybe take a run at them because it's really been built on the same model as constellation. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they're going to have to start doing larger... Um, and you know you could you could you could put up the argument or you could put up the concern that well they have historically been really good at buying the fifty million dollar company they've they've just done phenomenally that they don't have a great track record of buying the five hundred million dollar company or the three billion dollar company so it could be it, it could be interesting but then again they also just spun off a company called Topicus which trades on the venture exchange but its operations are over in um, over in Europe. And I believe they, the original Topicus acquisition, I'm looking to Ian to confirm my suspicions. Um, I believe it was actually at least a couple billion dollars in size, the original one, was it not? Or am I making stuff up? It's cloudy. The, the, yeah, okay. That whole deal was cloudy. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. I'd be surprised actually if it was that big because I, yeah, I, I don't have a definitive answer. Let's cut the, we'll, we'll trim that part out. We'll trim that part out. Um, uh, so, so, so yeah, Constellation Software. I think I think, I think that's a a great pick. Kind of like a kind of like a, a Berkshire Hathaway of software at, at a significantly smaller scale, but with with the opportunity to, to keep growing and growing and growing um, into the future. Ian, what's a, what's a company that that fits the bill for you of a special Canadian company that folks should uh, have on their radar? So I do, and I'm going to actually quickly change gears though from what what I shared earlier um, and and because Jim said greatest Canada greatest company in Canada so the company that came to mind on that front in the same echelon is Brookfield Asset Management and so I just I just want to maybe highlight that Brookfield Asset Management is indeed rooted in Canada even though its operations are international it's the mothership of uh, four separate tentacles Brookfield infrastructure Brookfield renewable energy uh, property partners which is now been brought in-house um, and, and a private equity uh, arm um, and I, I think I think similar to constellation actually Brookfield's done a fantastic job of recycling capital through these various tentacles it's it's harvests the cash flows that that it's a portfolio of hard assets bring in 
those cash flows go up to the mothership and the mothership sort of directs them where uh, where to go next into the highest returning opportunities. All the while, I just like this spaceship analogy <laughs> when it comes to Brookfield. <laughs> All the while, uh, they've really they've really stepped up their game on bringing external capital in as well. So their capital's flowing from the tentacles <laughs> and capital's also flowing. Uh, coming in from external sources that 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 they're charging a fee on, so it's it's become an absolutely wonderful business and uh, one that I think all Canadians and American investors should uh, should own a pretty good allocation to. the The situation that Nick referred to, however, is a company called Abcelera Biologics. Uh, ticker there is ABCL, and it only trades on the Nasdaq. Um, so it's a Canadian company. It was born out of a Canadian university out in Vancouver, the University of British Columbia, in about 2012. Sorry, um, founder-led remains founder-led. CEO is 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 still in charge, uh, or sorry, the founder is still the CEO. Uh, just IPO'd uh, back late late last year, and it only IPO'd on the U.S. on the Nasdaq. Didn't didn't even bother with the TSX. And again, that speaks to just the lack of coverage and lack of interest in anything Canadian healthcare oriented in, in our, in our market. Um, so Abcellar really hit, hits, it's, it's got a, it's got an AI powered drug discovery platform. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call it. So I, I think the way I visualize this one is that they can, they can take from our bodies, a, a human's bodies uh, uh, because we're producing immunity, uh, immunity. Uh, I'm going to get all, White blood cells, it's all yes, that antibody. Yeah. <laughs> so get ready to cut that. <laughs> um, so humans are producing immunities. We're, we're immune to many things. Abcellera takes from the human, puts it into their platform, spins it around, and is able to then ship, ship their findings to a drug company who they then partner with, and the drug company goes on to make uh, a treatment out of human-originated uh, antibodies. Um, so... Abcellar really hit its stride last year because they came up with a treatment for COVID. Uh, they partnered with Lilly, Eli Lilly. Um, again, this is their model. They, they came up with it. They partnered with Lilly. Lilly then takes over the, the production of, of the treatment and marketing and so on. Um, and Abcellar collects a royalty upon, upon that treatment. Um, so they had a blockbuster year last year, huge windfall, very similar to Fulgent Genetics. If people are familiar with Fulgent Genetics, also had a huge COVID windfall. Um, but I, I think what's been lost on the market is that Abcellar is not a COVID story. It's, it's been wonderful to pad its bank accounts with these COVID proceeds from this treatment that they come up with. But this, this platform is, is, is good to go on any number of fronts, and they've got over 100 different partnerships um, in place. And it's just a matter of sort of these treatments being born from this platform and then Abcellar collecting a, a royalty from, from, the, from that point forward. So it's... I think it's a really interesting situation. Certainly higher on the risk reward scale, uh, very, but but it's it's one. It's a seven billion dollar company that you could easily see become worth far more than that um, as they build sort of their portfolio of royalty producing uh, treatments. Yeah, and can you spell that that company? Abcellera. So it's A B C E L L E R A, and again the ticker ticker on the Nasdaq was A B C L. Excellent. I had one follow up on. Um, on Brookfield for, for you, Ian, because you mentioned all the all the different tentacles of the business. I actually got a question on Twitter about this. They're growing another one. It's like the Hydra, right? Where you keep keep growing the tentacles out there and moving into the into the reinsurance business. Do you have do you have any thoughts on, on that and what's going on there with Brookfield? Yeah, I think that's gonna be really interesting to watch because they've 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 gone in this in another direction in the past, right? They had a little internal specialty insurance company called Trishura. 
and they actually punted that from from out of the mothership like nobody this is the cool thing about brookfield is that you'll just hear them announce that they own some entity that you didn't even know was in there so trishura um specialty insurance company they punted that from the mothership and it's become a standalone company um so now they're going to i, I guess similarly they're, they're going to bring this uh reinsurance business out of the mothership into the public world and and allow it to uh live on its own if, if i understand the deal jim's squinting so i might not have it completely right no, it's about right. That's and, right. And okay. Trisura's this I I the Trisura story is just a wonderful, wonderful example of the species of the of the spinouts. Like it's it's it was spun out at twenty one dollars a share in July, like like literally four years ago, like July twenty seventeen. Uh, and you know, for every hundred and fifty shares of Brookfield you owned, you got one share of this tiny little specialty insurer. So of course, what happened? Anyone who got it just threw it over the side without a second thought. The stock's gone from, but if you were buying it, and we were we were fans of it and, mm-hmm. and remain fans of it today, but we were buyers there. Um, it's gone from twenty one dollars when it was spun out to I think it's one hundred and fifty today. Like it's just been just this tremendous growth story of a, of an industry where you didn't expect to see it. So um, I don't know the many insurance insurers that have performed like that. But no. and I think that and I think that hits the point too with this reinsurance business. It's going to be a similar situation. Brookfield owners are going to get. I share. I don't know what the ratio is, but that's, I actually that's think the idea. I think it's one one for one hundred and forty shares or one hundred and fifty. Okay. Now okay. Brookfield has split three for two since Tricera came out, so it's a slightly bigger deal net mm-hmm. net. But yeah, the same thing's going to happen. People mm-hmm. are just going to mm-hmm. puke it out and be done with it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's I, I think so one, stay to, tuned. one one to pay attention to. That's right. All right. So so we'll add that one um, to the watch list. You've got a bonus, uh, a bonus stock to keep on your radar here as, uh, as Brookfield gets ready to, to spin off their reinsurance business. Y'all, thanks so much for, for spending this time with me to, to, to run down Canada and celebrate uh, Canada Day. Can't wait to have y'all back on again in the future. Thank you. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks and Annie Franks for their help mixing the show. For Ian Butler and Jim Gillies, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on.